Ephesians 6, 1-4, hear the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In this section of the household codes, we have three different relationships and we have six different roles. We have wives and husbands, we have children and parents, we have slaves and masters, which what were the roles that made up the, the household in the first century. And each of those are addressed. It's interesting to think about the fact that the most of these six that anybody could occupy would be five. The most that any individual, because you can't be a husband and a wife, you can be a husband or a wife, but you can be children and you can be parents, you can be a slave and then perhaps eventually become a master. So it's possible to occupy five of these six roles. But there is also um, one role that everybody occupies. Not everybody gets to be a husband or a wife. Not everybody is a slave or a master. Not everybody is a parent. But everybody starts the, the, the life as what? Children, right. So that is the one role that is universal. Although we even outgrow that because this is being addressed to children who are under their parents' roofs. Now, when we get to these codes, it's easy to check out and say, well, that doesn't apply to me anymore. But it does apply to all of us, each of these, because it instructs us how we as Christians should view these various roles. Maybe we are no longer children under our parents' roofs, but it, it's important that we understand the role of children under their parents' roofs. Maybe we're not parents, but it's important for us as Christians to understand parenting and Christian parenting because that's part of our responsibility as we have here that promise that we make as Christians when when someone is baptized we promise to support the parents in the work of raising up their children in the faith now this uh, this is the same sort of structure as last week last week we saw instructions to wives then we saw instructions to husbands now here we have instructions to children and instructions to parents and it's worth noting something before we get into the specific instructions and that is that both children, and by the way, this word here when it says children, just like in English, so in the language in which the New Testament was written, Greek, there are words for sons, daughters, and there's a word for children, which is generic. And that's the word that's being used here. So children, both girls and boys, and then it uses the generic word for parents. Uh, there's a word for parents. There's also a word for fathers and for mothers. And this is the generic word which covers both. So it's interesting to note that children, boys and girls, parents, mothers and fathers, were all considered to be part of the church. That may be really obvious here, but children are being addressed here as part of the church. And these, these folks who are in this church in Ephesus were called saints at the beginning. And in another place, Paul calls, specifically calls children of at least one believing parent, he calls them holy ones, he calls them saints. So they're included in the church. And that's maybe an obvious thing, but it affects the way that we look at our children and it affects the way that we raise our children. Because not everybody, not all believers, contemplate their children as being part of the church. 
There are parents who look at their children as being outside the church and then eventually need to be brought in at some point. But in Scripture, we find that the children of believers are contemplated as part of the church and they are to be nurtured in the context of the church. They are to be raised in the faith. Now, um, the, uh, it's always a delight to hear testimonies of how people come to faith in Christ. And sometimes dramatic testimonies are, are very, very gripping. We hear about a, a life of, of complete opposition to God when people were, were given over to evil, and then we hear about this dramatic conversion, and it's very gripping and it's very moving. But you know, one of the most moving testimonies that I love to hear is this. My parents were Christians when I was born, and they taught me about Jesus, and they taught me to believe in Jesus and to love Jesus. And that's what I've done my entire life up to this point. I love that kind of testimony. That's the kind of testimony we want all of our children to have. We want our children to be able to look back on their lives and say, I never knew a time when I didn't know the love of Christ. And I never knew a time when I didn't trust in Christ. As, as immature as that trust might have been, I never knew a time when I was not relying on Jesus as my Savior. So now to the text. That's sort of a general. Where do children fit in? They're part of us. They're part of the church. They're addressed here as part of the church. And here we have these instructions, very clear, direct instruction to children, which is different. We saw last week that the instructions to wives were very understated, very delicate. Uh, to the husbands, it was very direct, but to the wives, it was very understated. Here to the children and to the parents, it's very direct. And what is it? No big surprise here. Children, you won't be surprised. You've probably heard this before. Children, what? Obey your parents. Obey your parents, right? Now, um, this obedience to parents, since it uses the generic word, it means to obey mom and it means to obey dad. It means to obey both mother and father. And um, the uh, this command is backed up with one of the commandments, the fifth commandment, to honor your father and mother. And it's interesting, he doesn't give the command to honor, he gives the command to obey, then he backs it up with the command to honor. But obeying is part of honoring, and you can't honor without obeying. And so this, is, this obedience comes as kind of a test case of whether you're really honoring your parents or not. You can't say, well, I'm going to honor you, mom and dad, but I'm just not going to obey you. No, it, it doesn't work that way. That's how honoring is expressed in young children by obeying their parents. Now, I'm going to get ahead of myself and I'm going to talk to parents because that's what I mostly have here. But um, this, uh, this puts a big responsibility on parents. If, if God has given to us these little human beings and they are required by God to obey us, then we need to be, need to be very careful about what we instruct them to do. Because they're required to obey us. That puts a great deal of responsibility on us. And so we ought to be careful about what we command them to do. And we also need to be careful not to give commands lightly. And, and if we're not willing to back up what we command, we shouldn't command it in the first place. And so we need to be very careful. This is, this is a great responsibility. This kind of a authority over other human beings is an immense authority. They're required by God to obey us. So we need to be very, very careful about what we require them to do and command only those things that are good for them and only those things that we are willing to 
in force. Now, there are three reasons for this, this commandment, and one of them is maybe implicit here, and then a couple others are very explicit. It says, children, obey your parents, and there is this expression here that shows up seven times in Ephesians, in the Lord, in the Lord. And we find this sprinkled throughout Ephesians, and we find this sprinkled very, very copiously throughout Paul's writings, in the Lord, in Christ. And what we've seen is, this is means in relationship with Christ, in union with Christ. And so you see how the children's activity is placed in relationship to Christ. And so it is obey in the Lord. They are to obey in relationship to Jesus Christ. Now, Colossians is a parallel book, and it, it, it gives some some similar instructions, but sometimes those similar instructions help flesh out what Paul was getting at in Ephesians. In uh, Colossians chapter 3.20, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So part of this idea of in the Lord is this, this motivation to be pleasing to the Lord. That's the first thing. The obedience is in the Lord. It is in relationship to Jesus Christ, the Lord of the parents and the Lord of the children. The second reason is very straightforward, for this is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, it, it doesn't say right or just. It doesn't really explain why it's right or just. But it, it may well be, in light of all that parents do for children, it, it is right or just in their response to the love and the provision and the sacrifice of parents. It is, it is just and right that they respond in obedience to the parents. And there's a, there's a fascinating, fascinating verse in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, Paul is, is indicting humanity. And he's saying to humanity, you know about God, but you don't know, want to know about God. What can be known about God is revealed in creation, and then more accurately and, and fully in his word. But you know enough about God by what's revealed in creation, so that you are without excuse if you disobey God. So, for example, Romans chapter 1, verse 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And then if you go down to verse 30, uh, back up to 29, it says, it talks about humanity. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceitfulness, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, hater of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Interesting that he puts that in this, in this list of rebellion against what's revealed in nature about God. And one of those things is, they're disobedient to parents, which means that somehow in nature, in nature it is revealed that it is right for children to obey parents. That's something that everybody should know, not just those who have read God's word. Are you following with me? So this is not just revealed in God's word. This is revealed somehow in nature that children should obey their parents. So this seems to be something that should be obvious to us in light of all that parents do or should do for their children then children respond, their, their recompense, as it were, their response to their parents, it, the just response is to obey their parents. That's the second reason. But then, then Paul turns the screws more, more specifically 
when he says that this is in keeping with the fifth commandment. So first reason, in the Lord. Second reason, it is right, it is just, it is appropriate. And then he simply quotes the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. So it's backed up with this commandment. And then he notes something about this commandment in parentheses here in our translation. This is the first commandment with a promise. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now that has that has perplexed interpreters for centuries um, because it looks like the second commandment also has something of a promise. But it's a very general promise that applies to all the commandments. But here we have a very, very specific commandment that is applied, uh, or is there's a very specific promise that is attached to this fifth commandment. And what is that promise? And it's in verse 3. That it may go well with you, and here he's quoting, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Now that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, and it comes from that version of the fifth commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's fascinating what Paul did with this. He, he cut off the last part of it, and he universalized it. The original promise was, children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those of you who have come out of Egypt, you're going to go into the promised land, that promised land of Canaan. And when you go into that promised land, if you will obey your parents, you will have long life, and it will go well with you in that land. But Paul takes off. Did you notice how he did that? He chopped off the in the land that the Lord your God will give you, and he substitutes for that, live long in the land, period, full stop. In other words, he is saying that there is a there is a universality to this commandment, that it didn't just apply to the children of Israel in the land of Canaan, that it applies to believing children all through the world, wherever they might be. Now, once again, I keep, I keep jumping from children to parents, um, because there's an implication here for parents. Why should we want our children to obey us? And oftentimes we want our children to obey us so that it may go well with us, right? We want our children to obey us so we can have a little bit of peace, so that we can get a little bit of rest, so that there can be a little bit of tranquility in the household, right? And we want our children to obey us so that we can look good as parents, so oftentimes we want our children to obey us so that it may go well with us. But we need to keep in mind that the motivation for us to instruct them to obey us is so that it may go well with them. Because I don't have to tell any parents that it is painful and frustrating and exhausting to try to get our children to obey us, and some children more than others. And... Uh, it can, it can be easy for us just to kind of throw in the towel and say, okay, okay, you win. It's not that big a deal. But it is a big deal when we keep the final goal in mind. We want it to go well with them. And he says here that you may have a long life and it may go well with you. Now, we need to be careful about how we apply that promise. In, in the Proverbs, there are many, many promises, but these are general principles. And Paul was well aware that not all children live long lives. And not all obedient children live long lives. In fact, in Paul's day, the infant mortality rate was much, much higher 
than it is in our day. There were many children that did not have length of days. But that doesn't take away the force of this promise. The force of the promise is if children obey their parents, they are more likely to have a long and prosperous life. Now, um, I know that if my life had had not had, had been cut off when I was a, a young person, it would likely have been because of some foolish thing I was doing in disobedience to my parents. And some of my friends who did not live to be adults, they died young because of disobedience to parents, because they were doing foolish things that their parents would have said no to. And so we can see by, by looking at the opposite, how to live a short and unhappy life, uh, you can see the opposite of that is the tendency of obedience to parents is to produce long and happy lives. And that's what we want for our children. So these are the these are the three motivations to, for obedience to children. So we have a few children here. As I said, we dismissed our children before I got to speak to the children. But uh, you can pass this on to them later. These three motivations in the Lord, it is right, and there is a promise there's a promise for children here that is attached to obedience. Now, in verse 4, there's the transition. So he addresses the children, then he addresses the not parents. He addresses what? Fathers. There's a switch here, isn't there? And as I said, there is a word for parents, like in English, and there's a word for fathers, and there's a word for mothers. And here he gets more specific here, and he addresses the fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children anger, but bring them up. What's he doing here? Is he sidelining the moms? Is he saying, moms, you don't need to worry about this? No. Um, he doesn't generally. Now, there are some irresponsible moms, but it seems to be hardwired into moms to take care of their children. But that's not necessarily the case if you look at history and you look at the news with fathers. And so Paul is focusing in on the fathers and saying, fathers, this is your responsibility. Child rearing is your responsibility. Yes, of course, the moms are going to do it. It seems to be part of what it, it, it's built into them. But fathers, you ought not simply to delegate that to them. This is on you. This is your responsibility. Um, the, uh, the church and the school support the training of children. But really, the, the bottom line is that fathers are responsible. As, as some of you know, we, uh, we started a school in, uh, in Guadalajara, Mexico, that was attached to our church. And I was various things in the school. I was the geometry teacher. I was the algebra teacher. I was the wrestling coach. I was, uh, at one point, the worst job I had was the director. Um, there was a leadership crisis, and so I stepped in as the interim director. And I, it wasn't a big school, but I reoriented the, the way we did discipline because there were some problems with discipline. And what I did was this. I said to the, uh, the parents, we are not going to discipline your children. You are going to discipline your children. And specifically, you fathers are going to discipline your children. If there's a problem here in our school, you fathers are going to deal with it. And so what I did is I had a list of all the numbers of the fathers. And when there was a problem, I said to the teachers, bring them to my office. I will call the fathers and I will put it on speakerphone and they will resolve this. And that's what I would do. So the, the kids would come in. I'd say, OK, I call and say, uh, Dad, hey, I got Junior here with me. I'm putting it on speakerphone. This is what Junior did. Deal with it. Go. And he would deal with it. They would always deal with it. Guess who were the happiest people in our school because of that? 
Can you guess? The moms. The moms were thrilled with that. And sometimes the kids were, the kids were, they were, they, they, one, one kid said, oh, I'm dead meat. My dad's in meetings in Spain or France or something like that. So I was calling and getting him out of his important meetings in Europe to deal with his, his child. But, but it was a, it was a fascinating experiment because it was saying, who's responsible here? Dads. And guess what the dads did? They, they dadded up. They, they showed their responsibility. They did. And it worked well when the dads were in charge. Now, there are two, re, two, two instructions to dads here. And one's negative. One's a prohibition. And one is positive. So the negative one is what not to do. The positive one is what to do. In verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, uh, this is one of those that when children get a hold of this, they tend to distort this command, this prohibition, um, because they tend to read it, and maybe some of you parents have had this quoted back to you as, Dad, you not, ought not to do anything that might cause me to get angry. That's not what it means, okay? Because if you are doing your job and enforcing obedience, that your children will sometimes get angry. The idea here is not that you will not do anything that results in your children's anger, because if your children are anything like mine and every other child that's been born on the planet, they will throw fits. And they will be unrighteously angry about many things. So we can't let their unrighteous anger, their immature anger, be the test of what we do. It does mean that we should not do anything to stir them up to an unreasonable anger, an unreasonable anger. And once again, if you go over to Colossians, we have a, a little bit of a, an explanation here in verse 21 of chapter 3. Fathers, do not provoke your children. It doesn't say to anger. It just says, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So, so don't kick the life out of them, fathers. Don't, don't trample on their souls so that they become discouraged. Now, there are lots of ways. Unfortunately, there are many ways to do that. And I don't know whether, I don't know whether this is going too far to say that, that, that fathers are better at doing that than, than mothers are. I don't know. That may be going too far. But there are a number of ways that fathers can, can, can really discourage their children provoking them to unreasonable anger. And sometimes these can be in opposite directions. That is to say, excessive harshness can provoke them to anger, as can excessive laxity. I remember hearing about a, a, a girl who was at a, a camp. It was a teenage girl at a camp, and she was, she was talking with one of the counselors, and she says, I've never been spanked in my entire life. Does no one love me? It's interesting how she understood better than her parents did what discipline communicates if it's done well. So excessive laxity can provoke and discourage. Excessive strictness and harshness can provoke and discourage. Um, also, there can be not enough attention, but also too much attention can provoke. Um, inconsistent discipline. Something is funny one day, and it is uh, disciplined the next day. Volatility, not knowing when dad or mom is going to explode. Uh, a lack of self-control. We're trying to discipline them, but we don't have discipline ourselves. And they can see very through, very easily through that 
that hypocrisy, favoritism among our various children, roughness with our children, ridiculing our children, raising our voices with our children, yelling at our children, or abuse of any kind, whatever that kind of abuse might be. All of these sort of things can, can kick the life out of our children and discourage them and trample on their tender souls. And he says, don't do that, fathers. Fathers, be careful not to provoke your children to anger, not to discourage your children, but do what in its place. And here's the positive part, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The, the second part of the command here is to nourish them, to nourish them. This verb here is found only two places in the New Testament. It's in verse 29 that we saw last week, and it talks about husbands nourishing and cherishing their own flesh as they should nourish and cherish their wives and as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. So this word nourish is the verb here. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but nourish them, nourish them, uh, nurture them. And it says two ways to nurture them. It says in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This first word for discipline is the, is the word from which we get our word pedagogy. Uh, it's instruction. It's, it's positive. Oftentimes we think about uh, discipline as being negative, corrective. And then the second word, instruction, this is probably the more negative word. This is probably correction. So we could translate these as nurture them in the, in the uh, education and in the correction of the Lord. So proper child rearing in the Lord has both of these aspects. It is positive instruction and it is negative correction as well. Now, um, notice that this, this discipline, this education, this instruction, this correction, this admonishment is of the Lord, of the Lord. And this is a fascinating connection. We saw, we saw the, 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 the phrase in the Lord and now we see the phrase of the Lord. Because our children must obey in the Lord, we must instruct of the Lord or from the Lord. Why? Because our children are in the Lord. They're, they're working on their obedience in the Lord. Then what kind of instruction should they get from us? It needs to come from the Lord, which means fathers and mothers, but fathers, the focus on you here, that you, you can't teach something that you don't know yourself. You can't give the, the education of the Lord, if you don't know the education of the Lord. You can't teach principles of the Lord if you don't know those principles of the Lord. And so this puts a lot on you to be the chief student of God's word so that you can pass that knowledge on to your children. Now, um, when we talk about fathers, uh, I talked about fathers a little bit last week, how fathers are to take care of their children and then and then if it's a daughter, they pass that responsibility off to the husband. But as we come to this theme, we, we, we have to, to recognize, and I can recognize this as a son and as a father, uh, I know that these instructions can be painful to consider. They can be painful presently or they can be painful as we think about our past. Some lament, as I do, my disobedience as a child. I wish I had been a more obedient child. My, my life would have been better if I had been more obedient. And some of us, they, we lament our, our disobedience as children. Some lament our failures as parents. And all parents do that to some degree or another. And, and I certainly do that. Anything goes wrong in my, in my children's lives. And what do I do? 
I turn it on myself and I remember that time when I exploded in anger. I remember that time when I was unwise in my words or whatever it might be. And so we can easily recriminate ourselves for our failures as parents. But also, some didn't have loving or responsible parents. And so when we come to this text and we read about 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 responsible fathers and mothers disciplining and raising their children in the Lord. Some didn't have that experience, and so it can be a, a foreign idea or a painful idea, and some even had abusive parents. So the idea of father or mother is not necessarily a, a positive association in, in some people's minds. Well, how can we, we deal with those things from our past? Well, as you all know, we cannot change the past. We can't change the past, but we can seek forgiveness and repentance in the present now. We can go back and talk to our children. We can go back and talk to our parents if they're still living. And we can try to do whatever is possible to do now. And if if we have failed in the past to, to seek forgiveness, not only from God, but from those we have hurt, parents or children, and seek forgiveness and repentance as much as is possible. But also, as we saw last week, even if we have no perfect model among us, uh, even as we saw last week, there's no perfect husband, there's no perfect wife, but there is a perfect model, and that's Christ and the church. And even as we have no perfect example of, of fathers or mothers or children among us, we do have that perfect example from whom all fathers and mothers are made and uh, the pattern for all fathers and mothers. And that, of course, is our heavenly father. We read a a piece of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, let me read a little more of it. We read it together earlier in the service. But here, here, it's kind of comforting to me as as an imperfect dad. In Hebrews 12, 7, it said, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, and here's the kind of backhanded comfort for me, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Did you see the contrast there? And I don't know if that's meant to comfort dads or not, but somehow that's a comfort to me. It says that what do we fathers, we earthly fathers and mothers do? We discipline our children for a short time as as we're able to, as it seems best to us. And this is not excusing us for, for terrible parenting, but it's saying we are very limited in what we are able to do. But, But that is not the end of the story because We and our children have a heavenly father who raises and instructs and corrects and disciplines for our good. And so that gives us a resting place as parents. That gives us a resting place as children that we have this perfect, perfectly loving father. And how do we see the, the love of the father most clearly expressed? Well, we see that in the work of the son. So... In the work of the Father, we see the work of the Son. In the work of the Son, we see the work of the Father. We already sang how deep the Father's love for us. And then what did we sing about? We sang about that he should give his only Son. Do you want to know the love of the Father? Well, look to the love of the Son. And there you see the love of the Father. 
And that is, that's our, that's our fallback in life as Christians. That's our support. That's our comfort in any sort of area. But there are a few areas that are more tender and more potentially painful as this question of, of parenting and, and having children and, and how we, we raise them and how we have responded to our own parents. Take hope. Take heart. Because there is a perfect Heavenly Father who loves us so much that He gave His only Son to cover what? All of our sins, even our disobedience as children, and even our failures as parents. So we can go on knowing that He will be the one who ultimately gets our children to where they need to be. We began this this, uh, section today by noting that being a child is the only role that is universal. We may not all be mothers or fathers. We may not all be husbands or wives, slaves or masters, but we all start this life as children. But that is also a role that is not only universal, but it's eternal. Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you don't need to become a wise adult. You need to become like a child. In what sense? Some people sentimentalize that and they say, Oh, you need to become innocent like children. What? They must not have had children. And, and if, that were the, if that were the qualification, nobody could enter the kingdom of God. If the qualification were you have to become innocent, then all of us, none of us can enter the kingdom of God. What is it about children? What is it about children that we need to imitate if we're going to enter the kingdom of God? Children are dependent on their parents. They're objectively dependent on their parents. They cannot, they cannot make it without their parents. And that's the aspect that we need to understand to come into the kingdom of God. We don't come into the kingdom of God as wise adults presenting all of our our virtues and our, our accomplishments. On the contrary, we come as children do. And how do children come to their parents? They come to their parents with open arms and empty hands and they say, Mommy, Daddy, I need, give, supply. And they know that we will supply because we love them so much. That's how we need to come into the kingdom of God, with with empty hands, dependent on the Father who gave His own Son for us. And so, we better get used to this idea of children, because it's not only the, the only universal role, it's the eternal role. This is the role that we get to play for all of eternity, if we have entered into the kingdom of God as little children, dependent on the Father who has given his son for us. Well, let's pray. Our God, we call you Father because Jesus died for us. We have no right of access to you as Father apart from the Son, our elder brother, who has introduced us into the family. And we once again want to enter in as little children, as dependent on you, as receiving your grace with empty hands, through faith in Jesus. And I want to pray for our children, and I want to pray for our parents at whatever stage we are, that you would enable us, if we are children under our parents' roofs, to obey, and so honor, and so have long and fruitful lives on the earth. And I pray for parents, and the arduous task that you have given them, we have many little kids, and I sometimes see the look of exhaustion on the faces of the parents, And I pray that they would be able to persevere, persevere through faith, persevere because they want what's best for their children. And I pray, Father, that you would give them grace 
not to provoke their children to anger, but to nurture them in the instruction and in the correction of the Lord. And we pray this in your name, our Father. We pray this in your name, O Son, Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this through the power of the Spirit.